Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. So, listen, I, this, it's, it's obviously one of those kind of unique situations. You don't see it very often. But, you know, the one thing that, that Omar, I can, I can vouch for, it, it was to, uh, very, very good at. It was evaluating talent and evaluating young talent in particular. And, and you know, whether you like the job that he did or not, you know, the, 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 the really, uh, when you look at the success that he had in terms of the number of players that he brought into the organization. And, uh, I mean, this is just, you know, drafting and international, right? Whether it's Harvey, DeGrom, Mats, Murphy, Familia. I mean, it, that's a pretty impressive list. Tejada, Lagares, Duda, Nice. Like, Turner. they all had ups and downs. Of course, some of those guys had ups and downs. But that's pretty. That's a pretty good little track record there. If, if he can contribute on that level, which I think he, he certainly can, and to add a you know kind of a positive outlook, he obviously has a good relationship with with Fred Wolpon, uh, which I'm sure couldn't can't hurt uh, knowing the organization like I do. Like to me, this is a this is a, a positive all the way around. It should be anyway for the front office. How does Omar's philosophies on the game mesh with what you know Sandy Alderson and the rest of the front office's philosophies on the game are? Well, I think it's different. And and to me, that's what you need. You, you don't need a bunch of guys that are that have the same philosophy in a front office. I tried not to do it. I think pretty much if you look around the game, anyone who has different philosophies throughout the front office, that's that's those are the ones that are most successful, that you're looking at different ideas, different angles, um, and, and throwing out different ideas. So his ideas, uh, you know, I, listen, when he was assistant, when I was assistant uh, to Steve Phillips, you know, he would throw out some ideas and we'd all kind of laugh and, 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 and roll our eyes. But more times than not, when you go back and look at him, you're like, wait a minute, that was actually a much better idea. you got to have some you know, outside-the-box thinking in, in your organization. I think you know, sometimes you see safe safe or conservative or kind of boring type of, of, uh, of uh, suggestions or signings, and usually you end up with a boring team. So, I don't know, to me, I, I think that's the other thing that he'll bring to the equation is something that I think it sounds like, anyway, they've been lacking there lately. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. And we're talking with Jim Duquette right now, former Mets general manager, Sirius XM. You know the politics of a front office uh, when – you know, this is announced, and then, you know, Mark Carrig of Newsday asks, you know, some people in the front office their 
Uh, thoughts on it uh, and, and Fred Wilpon getting involved? The words he got back were embarrassing, stupid, undermining, insulting. Uh, where does that come from? <laughs> I don't know. I tell you. <laughs> does it anger you? Because you seemed angry on Twitter earlier. It just frustrates. I mean, as a fan, I got to believe you're going, what, what in God's name are you talking about? I, like, like, you know, to me, I look at it and I go, wait a minute, okay. Uh, all right, he has a relationship with Fred. Maybe that was a suggestion by Fred Wilpon. He sat down and, and, and Sandy Alderson and John Rico interviewed Omar, right? Interview him. You, you pretty much know, uh, you know, Omar's been around the game a long time. Longstanding relationship there within the Mets. John, you know, I hired John Rico, but, but Omar worked out closely under John Rico for longer than I did. So John clearly knows him. Sandy has known Omar for years. In fact, you know, uh, Omar helped Sandy uh, you know, in the transition when he first came over and gave him the blueprint of, hey, here's the evaluations of the pe- of the players there. So he's he already had a and he's had a longstanding relationship with Sandy. There's a high level of respect there. Like like this to me is an easy thing. All of a sudden, it's you, know, you get some people put you know in the front office. I'm not disputing Mark Carrig's to- story, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he has you know uh, uh, you know a source or two or whatever that's saying that. I just think it's pretty weak for someone in that front office, whoever it was to be you know, talking about it. If Sandy's okay with it, honestly, that's the only person that really matters in this thing. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, December the 30th, 2017. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Check out the show with our partners over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. And uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you could leave a review on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated uh hope everybody's doing well and yes i about a week ago i had our you know mets financial report if you want to call it that with our buddy steve keen and i had said happy new year merry christmas see you in 2018 and sure enough within less than 24 hours we probably should have waited to do the program but uh some news sprung and i said you know what after the holiday let me find the right time and Talk about Omar Minaya, and you heard Jim Duquette there as uh, the opening give his thoughts. Steve Phillips um, has been giving his thoughts about the front office and what have you. And uh, a lot of support, I guess, from those who have worked with Omar Minaya for the move. Not so much support from the fans and a lot of head-scratching from the media, and I'm going to give you my take. Joining me in a little bit is an old friend uh, from the days of my NYBaseballDigest.com website. Also know him very well from uh, times I've been down in Trenton covering uh, AA Eastern League Baseball for the, the Trenton Thunder for that website. Uh, Jed has also you know, spent some time on my ESPN radio show from a few years ago. He does a lot of Yankees. He works for MLB.com, but Jed Weisberger will be joining us uh, in a little bit. And we're going to ask him a, about what he thinks about what's going on, the slow free agency, I know Wade Davis signed this weekend, but um, Jed could give us maybe some perspective about his thoughts. Someone who's not really connected to the Mets, but knows about the Mets. And uh, I think he's going to give you some interesting nuggets. uh, And and I'm really looking forward because it's been a long time to talking to Jed. So anyway, let's start with Omar Minaya. And anyone who listens to the show knows that I'm very much a proponent of a clean organizational command you know you don't want and and many years ago i remember steve phillips had talked about how the mets and one of the problems with the mets and this might have been right around when omar Minaya was fired is that it's a very collegial atmosphere where because fred wilpon is very hands-on and because jeff wilpon the owners are very hands-on anybody at any moment could talk to them and basically give their opinion and potentially influence what the team does 
not uncommon, and I go back to something I said multiple times this offseason, that this is a family-owned business. John Ricco talked about this being a family-owned business, and when you have a family-owned business, it's like any other family where there's a closer line, a closer chain of command. It's not some CEO off in you know, wherever with a board, and you know there's not that space between the individual who's hired to run the business unit and ultimately who – owns the team. There's not that space, although they're very much hands-on. And look, I think anybody who is out there listening, if you, and, and it's hard for any of us who are average working people to fathom owning a franchise that's worth in probably north of $2 billion, maybe $3 billion. It's hard to imagine that, but if it was your franchise, if it was your business unit, I think you'd want to know what's going on. I think you want to be involved. Now, you would not want to undermine the person or the organ or the people, I should say, that were hired or are hired to to run the thing and run the thing successfully. And that's essentially what it and that was not essentially, that was what Sandy Alderson was hired to do. Sandy Alderson was hired because he was the best man at that time to clean up which was a financial mess because of Madoff, because of the fact that the Mets uh, had bad contracts. They had some negative uh, trends when it comes to attendance and revenues. And they had uh, a strong uh, spike in what they uh, what their debt was. And they were in trouble, and everybody knows that. And that really has still not changed. It's if you, you, know, you don't have the access to their books, you're never going to. It's a private company. But that, that hasn't changed. It's probably a little bit better. But there is still some debt out there. There's still some made-off payments, and who knows what else is going on there. The Mets have invested, as we talked about on the last podcast, in some outside interest with eSports and the Islanders and, and what have you. So all that comes to fruition as payroll now goes up or the potential for the need to have payroll go up in the near future with the young pitchers that were making $0 essentially in the baseball sense coming uh, you know that bill coming due and 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 that's uh, taking away some flexibility with that it's put the onus on the front office to be more creative and it frustrates the fans because the off season in baseball terms is about what goodies what presents to use that christmas or hanukkah or whatever kind of holiday that you celebrate that gives you presents that whole well what present do i have under the tree is it, you know, Anthony Swarzak is, is kind of like a stocking stuffer. It's cute, and you want to take it out of the stocking, and you want to be able to, you know, look at it, and maybe it's useful, but it's not the present. It's not the, the, the new car or the, you know, the, the, the nice article of clothing or the video game. Whatever it was that you desired this holiday season, it's not that. And the Mets are probably not going to get that kind of player. What I will say is this, is I think the prices are pretty outrageous. Uh, not not outrageous in the sense where there isn't precedent for it, but you have to be careful. You know, Wade Davis just got a $17 million contract. And I don't know if Wade Davis, over the course of that contract with Colorado, will be the same pitcher. And we've seen many contracts for closers or for pitchers or for relievers become bad very quickly. What that brings me to is Omar Minaya. Now, I am not necessarily crazy about bringing back the former GM. In, in, in a vacuum, that's not the kind of move that you want to want to do. But Omar, and I've said this many, many times, Omar never was bad at talent evaluation. I don't think Omar was a useless figure in the Mets front office. All those who have dealt with him far far longer and far more in depth than I have have said that. Omar wasn't an executive. He wasn't someone that could lead a club. He wasn't organized enough. He had some bad people, namely Tony Bernazard working underneath him. Uh, you know, he didn't really strategize and have a plan. He was the wrong guy to navigate the Mets after 2010, especially with what was going on with their financial situation. That doesn't mean he did everything bad. I think he did an outstanding job turning that team around that was nearly irrelevant after the whole Scott Kazmier debacle in 2004. I think he was able to put together uh, as good of a team as possible under the constraints that he had. They were not the Yankees. They were never going to have that payroll. Some of the moves he made, like Pedro Martinez, which were more about attracting the team in terms of outside the gate, maybe like you know, kind of bringing interest into the team and use, being used as a recruitment tool about how serious they were, didn't work out. But he got Carlos Beltran here. And to his credit, as much as I dislike him and know how – uh, poisonous he was to the organization. Tony Bernard's ought to play a big part in that. And Carlos Beltran, 
who very well may be a Hall of Famer, will go down as a key and and probably uh, the, the the key components of why the Mets from 2006 to 2008 were co- were contenders and were championship contenders, despite the collapses and some of the negativity that you can you can point to. So Omar was not a useless figure. Now you couldn't keep Omar in the organization when Sandy Alderson was hired. That would be dysfunctional. Uh, it's been seven years. Omar's been with a couple of organizations. He's worked for MLB. Uh, he certainly a couple of years ago uh, was giving was getting platitudes for the draft picks like a Matt Harvey, like Jacob DeGrom, and you know the fact that his signing of R.A. Dickey, which might have been luck, but you know sometimes luck is the product of design, like I always say. And R.A. Dickey you know, translated into Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno, and then there's Lucas Duda. I mean that 2015 pennant winning team that should have won the World Series. I'll stand by that for the rest of my time. Uh, you know, that team was a large part had Omar Minaya's fingerprints on it. And it's Sandy Olderson that brought it together, but it had Omar Minaya's fingerprints on it. Now, you bring him back as a special assistant, what does that mean? I mean, Terry Collins is a special assistant to the GM. These titles sometimes mean these are guys in the organization that you can call, they consult, they make public appearances, they do some odds and ends, but it's not like they're sitting in on the meat and potatoes of what goes on uh, when it comes to free agency. Now, with, when it comes to Omar, I think he's going to have a little bit more influence than necessarily Terry Collins, who uh, you know, I'm not quite sure, other than maybe giving his opinion on some prospects and things like that, which I'm not even sure is, is even something that he's really good at, but I'll, I'll, we'll make this about that right now. And Omar might have more uh, influence. The concern is obviously what we all know is that Fred Wilpon, and this has been talked about, and Mark Kerrig has written about it extensively, he likes to be involved. He likes people that he could talk baseball with and communicate with him. That's why it was so important for him to have lunch with Mickey Calloway. That's why he loved Terry Collins as a manager because he connected with Terry Collins. And he probably wants to make sure that Sandy Alderson and the advice that he's giving him and the direction that he's taken his franchise, he wants somebody to bounce that off of, and he trusts Omar, and he likes Omar. And I think it's – and I'm trying to remember who, who – I can't – I want to give the right quote or the right citation, but I've always heard that Fred looks at Omar Minaya like a son. I mean I don't even know if he wanted to fire him. It was just so because of the Tony Bernard incident, because of the situation with Adam Rubin, because the team was – I still think the team, if there was, uh, it wasn't as bad as those 2010 record indicated. They actually were in a race a little bit. Jerry Manuel was an awful manager, and really that's been a big part. This team has had all pretty much every manager they've had since Bobby Valentine, in my opinion, has been lacking. And, and if you want to talk about Willie Randolph, Jerry Manuel, Terry Collins, I mean Willie Randolph's probably the best manager they've had since Bobby V, and Willie had a lot of issues. Uh, a lot of issues, and he was undermined by Tony Bernazon, and that really, to me, is why Omar Minaya probably was not as successful as a GM. I think he, it, this was a high-level, very high-level member of the organization that told me about five to six years ago that the difference between Omar Minaya and Sandy Alderson was that Sandy has a plan, he starts out with a plan, and then he has A, B, C, and D, and he goes out and he executes it, and it's methodical. You're seeing that right now. You've seen that every offseason. Omar really waited to see how markets and things developed, and then he pounced. And in today's baseball, with the analytics, with the Ivy League, every team is doing it more like Sandy Olderson than like Omar Minaya. And really, the way Omar Minaya did things, that's probably not the way you run an organization. you got to have an idea of where you're going to go, and a vision, and a structure. And then you do have... Olderson's a military guy. And you almost have to have that. But you also need somebody, as you heard Jim Duquette say in that opening uh, clip from WR Radio and Pete McCarthy, who did a nice job there. And they actually do do a nice job with the sports zone, so let's give them a little plug. They deserve it. You you do need that outside-the-box thinker. And I think Omar Manai is going to bring that to the table. Do I believe this could be dangerous because you have the chance of – you have the the way it's set up, the former GM, can they undermine – the existing GM, because they're too close to the owner? Absolutely. Do I think that that's Omar's endgame? No. I mean, Omar hasn't, from what I have looked at, really even been interested. In, and, and Jim Duquette has even said that. I think he tweeted about that. He's not even interested in being a GM. You know, when you do a job and, and you see what the job is and you are honest about your strengths and what you're good at and what you're not good at, 
you kind of want to stay away from jobs that aren't in your wheelhouse. Scouting and a support system and being part of the team but not the leader of the team is what Omar Minai is all about. And it's been seven years since he's been GM. I really don't think there's any harm here in this. Is it dangerous? Yes. Do I think that it's as dysfunctional as everybody's going to make it out to be? No. Is the media going to make this out to be bigger than what it really is? Yes, they are. Every team, every offseason, the league, every, all, every one of the 30 teams has a narrative. The media has to tag somebody. This is like high school. Everybody's got a label because that's what people do. They label. The world is no different than high school. It's just you grow up and the labels and the thing and the BS that goes on when you're in high school, it just takes on a mature level of BS. And that's what you see with the media. The media has to have a theme and a storyline, especially with an offseason that's slow. Uh, as cold as it's going to be this weekend, and it's going to be cold here on the East Coast in New York, negative temperatures, that's as cold as the hot stove has been. I do think January you're going to see a lot of things develop because players after the holidays, after New Year, are going to start to have to look at their families and say, what the hell are we doing in 2018? And as much as they have been rewarded, not all of them, but a lot of them in prior contracts, and they hopefully, if they were smart, have pretty good next eggs, they're going to want to get a job, whether it's for a year, two years, whatever. And their families are going to want to have them get a job and bring in income. And spring training is less than two months away. In six weeks, a little over six weeks, it's going to be pitchers and catchers and Valentine's Day. And it's been a while since we've seen a lot of action after New Year for a lot of players, not just the big names. But that's what's going to happen. And as it gets closer, agents are going to have more pressure on them to make a deal. And that's when advantage is going to be to the organization. And an organization like the Mets, run by Sandy Alderson, who has clear constraints that are part of uh, you know what he needs to do to build a team. He, there's no doubt about it. We're not excusing that. I'm not apologizing for that. It's reality, though. So to sit here and complain about that and have protest and sell the team, you're wasting your time. Enjoy the team. Enjoy the sport. Look at how this team can compete and build and what is reality. And there is talent out there on this team. We, it has to be developed. And maybe there's going to be relievers or guys that we're not even talking about within the organization that are going to have an impact and maybe better than Wade Davis in a couple of years. We don't know. That's the job of Sandy Alderson. That's the job of the field staff, Mickey Calloway. And that's going to be part of Omar Minaya if he is as involved as we think as a sounding board for Omar Minaya. So to me, this is not a bad move. This is not a move to get crazy about. It only could be positive. I think he's not a guy, from what I know, that's going to be an undermining influence. It isn't orthodox. It isn't what the Ivy League business book tells you to do. It isn't what the media wants. But you know what? Fred Wilpon owns the team until he doesn't. Why should he listen to the media? And I keep saying this, and this will be, continue to be a theme. You listen to the fans. You listen to the media. And you have to a certain degree understand your customer base with the fans. But if you listen to them and do just what they want when they want it, you'll go broke. You'll never have a winning team. And one day you'll be sitting with them watching someone else own the unit, the business unit, the team, or have the GM job that you had because you listened to the people, and they're going to be doing the same thing all over again. So you know, that to me is the long and the short, the most practical. And that's what I'm trying to do is give you a practical take on what's going on with the New York Mets this offseason. That doesn't mean I'm apologizing for it, and it doesn't mean that it's all good. And there certainly is frustrations. You would absolutely want this team to be able to go out and be more nimble and jump on free agents. And I think as currently constituted, if they don't make any further moves, there's more of a highly likely chance that they're not going to be a playoff team than they are. But this is not a roster. This is not an organization that's uh, totally bereft of talent. There's probably more guys that are going to be component players than impact players. The impact player or the type of impact player that they need, that's where this issue lies. But we'll see. We'll see what 2018 brings after the new year because I think it's going to be an interesting month of January. And I think there may be an opportunity for the Mets to make a move at their price. And I believe they will because they've shown that they, when there is the right move at their price, they will jump on it. The frustrating part is waiting for that move to present itself because sometimes it doesn't and it is a risk that it never will. 
So that's exactly what where I think the frustration with the fans is and what have you. So anyway, let's take a break. When we return, Jed Weisberger, MLB.com. He's also got a, uh, participating in a new venture, Clubhouse Corner. Let's hear what he has to say about what's going on with the New York Mets and about this offseason, about why there's so much slow activity. And, and does he think the Wilpons are this you know, terrible, terrible uh, you know, ownership group that's going to drive the Mets right into the ground? So, and why, why do the Wilpons operate in some ways the way that they operate? So anyway, let's take a break. When we return, Jed Weisberger, MLB.com, and uh, we'll be right back right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Talking Mets podcast here, a New Year's edition of the show, and joining us, an old friend of the show. I've known this guest for quite a while, saw him many times down in Trenton as we watched uh, the B-Mets, the Trenton Thunder, minor league baseball, you know, wrote for a site that I was obviously part of and ran at NY Baseball Digest. Right now, you can check him out at MLB.com, a site called Clubhouse Corner, our good friend Jed Weisberger. Jed, happy new year. Long time no talk. Uh, good time to chat. Lots not going on, but I think there's a lot of stuff you could give us perspective on, you know, on the back end. Things simmering and boiling there in Major League Baseball. Mike, happy new year to you. Uh, glad to catch up, and we'll catch up during the summer sometime with uh, some games, whether up in New York or down in Trenton or something like that, or at City Field, or, you know, maybe, you know, with. Uh, Lakewood playing some of the Mets teams and things sure. like that. So we'll see what happens. Sure, Ab- absolutely. Uh, so Jed, what do you what do you think? Uh, you know, and I talked about it in the opening. Omar Minaya, that was the the, the real story. We'll, we'll start there. It, it's controversial. I don't really think it should be. I, I'm curious your take because I think uh, as a guy who's been in baseball a long time, you probably know a little bit about Omar Minaya. What was your take when you heard the news? Well, I like Omar a lot. Um, he's a good man. Um, he, uh, you know, most of the pitchers that are on the team right now, I mean, most of the big guys like Syndergaard and, uh, you know, Harvey before and things like that, you know, and Matt's and those guys, they were all his draft picks and all people he brought in. So, I mean, obviously, talent-wise, he's fine. And he kept Montreal uh, competitive when he was up there, uh, I think it's a good move. I mean, it's kind of funny, though, because uh, a lot of Mets fans seem to think that Sandy's in there. What does he need Omar there as an assistant? But uh, I think Omar brings uh, things to the table he could definitely add. Jed Weisberger, MLB.com, joining me, Clubhouse Corner. You can check him out on Twitter, at Zalman. And uh, if you've been following me for a while, Jed has done a ton of stuff with prospects, both New York teams and covered the league. What do you make of what's going on? Like I said in the you know a couple of minutes ago, there's not a lot of activity. I know that Wade Davis signed with Colorado, and after the holidays, I have a feeling we're going to see maybe a blitz of players signing. I think there's been about 10, 11 players signed. So despite the fact that specifically the Mets have been inactive, there hasn't been a ton of activity. There's been a lot of the talk, uh, basically talk. In general, why do you think it's been so slow? Why is the league so methodical about building their rosters this off season? couple of things might have happened. First of all, uh, ever since the Kansas City Royals a few years ago, if you have a great bullpen and your starters can go five innings and your bullpen can take over in the sixth, you have a good chance of winning if you have a good offense and uh, teams are building that way. I mean, Colorado uh, signing Wade Davis with what else they've signed previously, like Brian Shaw and people like that is not a surprise because 
Colorado has always had trouble attracting starting pitchers, you know, being a mile high, even with the humidor and uh, the wind tunnel and everything in the outfield. So I can see why they're building a bullpen. And everybody's looking at the Yankees last year, too. I mean, uh, Batances was up and down, but uh, Chad Green becomes a bullpen star. And a team that wasn't supposed to win 80 or 82 games ends up uh, a game from the World Series. So the bullpen has become a big thing, even in Baltimore. I mean, a bad team that uh, their bullpen was solid last year and it kept them in a couple games. I also don't think that uh, people are looking to pay a ton of money, like $20 million a year for a hitter, because uh, it seems like young hitters are coming along and uh, people are developing. I mean, the Yankees, of course, leading that with Judge and Sanchez and guys like that. But, I mean, uh, you know, the Mets uh, the Mets have high hopes, too, for some guys that are young. And uh, I don't think uh, I don't think people are looking uh, – if a guy's 28 or 30, I don't think they're looking to give him a six- or seven-year contract at $20 million per. I mean, J.D. Martinez fits the Red Sox like a glove, but are they going to pay that money? We'll find out. I mean, uh, the Red Sox are tapped out on the form system, and they're getting tapped out on the major league level, too. You're a big minor league guy. I know you've been down. You you know a little bit about uh, a lot about the Trenton Thunder, and and you know obviously you've seen a lot of guys go through with the B Mets. Uh, the thing about bullpens, and 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 I know, look, the the the, the fans want the Wade Davises, the, the the Greg Hollins guys like that. But at one point, Wade Davis was a mediocre starting pitcher. There's been many guys that have come through systems. I'm not saying they're nobodies, but they've developed into really good relievers. The Mets have some interesting arms, and I think you probably saw a few come through Binghamton, even even as recently as this year. Is there any arms in the system that you think nobody's talking about that perhaps can be high-end relievers as early as this year at some point? I'm not sure how how in depth you've looked at their system, but I, I think there's some interesting arms if you go up and down the, uh, you know, especially well, in Double A like over the last couple of years. I like what the Mets has done. I mean, last year, Chris Flexen went pretty quick, and he was kind of thrown into the rotation. And, uh, you know, through no fault of his, he had a tough time here and there, but he gained some great experience. Um, you know, Flexen is the kind of guy that uh, he's put, like, in a Chad Green role. You never know. I also like the guys the Mets have drafted recently, like David Peterson uh, has possibilities there. Justin Dunn has possibilities there. Uh, you know, Marcos, you know, Thomas Zapucki has uh, – has uh, possibilities there. And, you know, Peterson and Zipuki are both left-handers. So uh, you never know what might come up there because a lot of guys like that, Mike, even coming out of college, whether they started or relieved or did both, Jordan Montgomery, a perfect example. I didn't start in college till his junior year. Um, you know, things happen. Uh, things happen, and uh, a lot of minor league uh, stars become relievers. I will tell you something that the Yankees did and uh, some other organizations do, namely the Red Sox, and the Mets are starting to do this, is say a pitcher starts in A and at both A levels and in the double A, in between the next summer, you know, over the winter, between the next season, they'll, they may evaluate and make a relievers starters and starters relievers. And that way they go into the upper minors with a definite role, uh, you know, in hand. I mean, with uh, Peterson and Dunn and Sapuki, I mean, they could be uh, – they could be both. I mean, when they have, you know, when they decide what their roles are, you know, totally. I mean, they could help any way. I mean, but a lot of minor league uh, starters do end up relievers and star relievers. Yeah, absolutely. I have with me Jed Weisberger, MLB.com, uh, talking a little bit about the off season. If you were Sandy Alderson, and you know that there's probably a restrictive budget, uh, who knows if it's ten million, fifteen million. Uh, you know, you, you've seen the Swarzak signing guy that you're probably a little familiar with. What would you do? What do you think is realistic to do? Are you hearing anything? Are there names? Are there guys that, look, they're not going to be the sexy names, right? But are there guys that could help this team? Because I think the pitching can improve. I think Mickey Calloway is going to be a big impact. I think Dave Island is going to have a big impact. Uh, I know that they're not going to go into the season as a favorite, and they certainly have a lot of question marks regardless of what they do. But this isn't trash. I really don't think this is a trash roster. It could be a team with a sub-500 record, but I think it could be a team that could be in the playoffs. Uh, I, I know that there needs to be some moves to be made, but I think there's something here. I mean, what what do you think they can do? Because I, I don't think they're going to be inactive the entire offseason. Well, the first thing they can do is uh, 
hope every all the pitchers are healthy, Mike. Uh, injuries to pitching really ruined their season last year. I mean, Syndergaard's himself, he's a 18, 19-game winner if all goes well. Matt's is a good young kid. I don't know what you get out of Harvey at this point. But, uh, you know, the bullpen's solid as long as Familia's healthy, too. I mean, ordinate amount of injuries last year. Um, one thing I can tell you about the Mets, they have been in discussions involving, uh, you know, uh, Todd, you know, uh, Todd, Todd Frazier, you know, who, yeah, Todd Frazier, who played with the uh, the Todd father, I call him, who did well with the Yankees last year. But uh, it doesn't look like he's going to go back to the Yankees, even though they want him, because he wants a three or four year contract. Todd is not looking for more than 10 or 11 million a year, if that. So, uh, you know, if they get, you know, he'd be great at third base there. I mean, he's only going to hit 235, 240, but uh, he'll hit you 25 or 30 home runs, and it'll really help the lineup. Plus, he's a good guy in the clubhouse. I'd go after a guy like that. Um, you know, I really would. I mean, he's one of those guys. He's not J.D. Martinez. He's not the other sexy names, like you said, but he's from Tom's River, and I think he wants to stay in New York. So if he stays in New York with the Mets, and gets what he's looking for multi-year, I think Sandy should definitely go after him. Josh Harrison, guy that you're probably familiar with down in Pittsburgh. John Heyman has the Mets. Uh, I think even the Yankees have been thrown in there as a possible fit. Now, you look at him from an analytics standpoint, you know, he had a nice year last year, probably one of the better years he's had in his career. He's versatile. He plays a couple positions. But he is, if you believe in this kind of uh, advanced metrics, a below-league average hitter for his career. Uh, what do you think of Josh Harrison? Because second base right now, you got Cabrera third. Uh, obviously, you're going to kid Rosario at short. You probably want someone at second. Though I think T.J. Rivera, and I know I'm sounding like an apologist, but T.J. Rivera is not a bad player. I think you've probably seen T.J. Rivera. But that's not going to be the name, especially coming off of Tommy John surgery, that fans are going to want to hear. Is Josh Harrison a guy? Is that the kind of player? And he's not going to come cheap. I think he's going to make 10 or $11 million bucks, which by this today's standards might be a bargain. Is that a player you think can make an impact in the sense where he's a good value signing, not sexy, but then after you, you look at it and here you are, you'll be in May, June, July, you know, maybe the fans are going to be like in the media, well, that maybe he's not as bad as everybody thinks, not sexy, but not a bad little player. Todd, um, Josh Harrison emerged with a great year a couple of years ago when he hit 315 and he made the all-star team. The thing that people don't know about him out here is he's an adept base runner. I mean, he does some things on the bases to really uh, generate some excitement. He also can play uh, every infield position and the corner outfield positions. And he's the kind of guy who's good in the clubhouse. He's a good guy. He's good in the community. Uh, If the Mets uh, want to trade for him, uh, I think he is a bargain by today's standards. What the uh, what the Yankees or what the uh, Pirates would be looking for uh, in return for Josh Harrison would probably be uh, probably be some infield depth and maybe maybe a starting or maybe a flexing or something like that. If they're willing to trade a kid like Chris Flexen that has major league experience, I think that could open the door to Harrison uh, and they could probably work it out. What really uh, what really stalled the Garrett Cole thing. Uh, between the Yankees and the Pirates, and I wrote about this yesterday, is the Yankees did not want to talk about Jordan Montgomery going there. And the Pirates and Neil Huntington kept talking about, look, if we trade you Garrett Cole with two years of control left, we want a major league uh, experience starting pitcher. And even though Chance Adams is a good prospect and Domingo Acevedo is a good prospect for the Yankees, their resumes didn't uh, didn't do what the Pirates wanted them to do because they don't have major league experience. Flexen, on the other hand, does. And he pitched, uh, you know, he got knocked around a little bit. Still, he learned what it's all about. And a pitcher like that could be in play and maybe open up the the door for Josh Harrison. Do you think it's unfair? Let's say they make decent moves. Not a star move, but they get enough where they have an okay offense. Maybe they get like a Josh Harrison type. Maybe they go out and you know, uh, you know, Carlos Gomez or something like that in the outfield. I'm not talking about anything crazy. Uh, and they go into the season with Rosario and Dominic Smith that short and first. Is it too much to ask those kids to help them compete for a wild card spot, compete to be in the playoffs? Uh, Rosario wasn't bad. It was okay. He showed a little bit of uh, defensive lapses during his brief time up last year. Dominic Smith was awful. But He's working out. You know, the, the team is pumping up a little bit. Um, he certainly, you know, has talent. He's a high draft pick. What do you think of those two guys? Is it too 
too unfair to them to have to have both play such a big role in 2018. Well, I really like uh, I really like Rosario. Uh, I always have. I think he's a shortstop that can be an exciting player and things like that. Um, Dominic Smith, I mean, struggled last year. He was not great. I mean, but uh, just think of how Aaron Judge was when he came up in 2016. He wasn't great either. Uh, as long as he want, as long as they work with him and he wants to work hard, I think Dominic Smith can hold his own. What you're looking for is, hey, if Dominic Smith get a 255 and a 20, 22 home runs and drive in 70 runs, Michael, you got something there. I think Rosario is going to be fine. I think Dominic Smith can be fine. But sometimes it's uh, it's progression. I mean, nobody expected Judge to hit 52 home runs last year. Absolutely. I'm not hit 52 home runs, but the point I'm making is when guys first come up, there's such an adjustment to the major league level, and it's not easy. Now that he's been there for a while, and uh, he played in, you know, he had 187 at-bats last year. I mean, he's seen pitching, and even though he hit 198, Judge wasn't any better uh, his first year coming up. So I, I think Dominic Smith, based on his uh, pedigree resume and his past work, uh, you know, in the minors, I mean, he didn't show a ridiculous amount of power, but, I mean, uh, he did hit 14 home runs and drive the 91 runs the year he was at Binghamton and hit 302, and there's nothing wrong with that. Then he went to Vegas, and uh, I always, I'm always wary about stats in Vegas. But uh, let me tell you, let me interject one thing about the minor league. The best move the Mets made over the last year is buying the team in Syracuse, so they don't have to worry about this Vegas nonsense anymore. That's going to help the system in so many ways, especially moving guys from AAA to AA and vice versa, and to New York uh, with their form team in uh, Syracuse rather than their AAA team in Syracuse rather than uh, rather than uh, Las Vegas. They're going to get numbers that are real. Like I mean, the Red Sox when they were out in the West Coast, you know, they were at, uh, they were in uh, Lake Elsinore for a couple of years, and uh, a couple guys hit 35, 40 home runs out there. But those stats aren't right. The same thing with Las Vegas. You don't know if those stats will play in the major leagues, but if uh, your guys are coming from Syracuse, you're going to get real stats. Yeah, it's that's that's a great point. Um that is a huge move. It's a long time coming. Uh the Mets essentially have been in no man's land once they botched. I mean, you and I have talked about it. They botched the whole Buffalo situation. Uh they botched the Norfolk situation. Omar and I was part yes, of that. I did. mean, obviously there's the 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 Omar, you know, the 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 Will Ponds and what have you. Uh you know, what you've run the game a long time and and here's the deal. I totally get the situation frustrating the fans. And I'm not defending the Will Ponds. To me, though, the financial situation hasn't changed over the last couple of years. The reason why it's coming more to a head is because the pitchers that were making a half million dollars uh, now are making money, and and they have to potentially maybe yep. sign them. Uh, you know, they're looking at some of these contracts, even for guys like Jay Bruce, four or five years. Those are contracts that you're probably gonna regret very quickly, even though they'll make you feel good now. Uh, they, you know, you heard even Fred Wilpon talking about how how do the Yankees sustain that? You know, you've been you've been up close, and you and I have talked a lot, and the Yankees have gotten knocked a lot, and certainly they played, you know, the money ball in a sense with real, you know, not money ball the what we think, money ball with just buying players pretty much from what 2000 to about 2008. Now things have changed, and you know, you're seeing the fruits of that labor. The Mets could do the same thing. Obviously not with a hundred ninety million dollar payroll, they have failed on the system side. Where do you think Sandy Alderson's failed? Has it been the draft? Has it been development? Do you think the changes being made where they brought in De Francisco? Obviously you brought up Syracuse. Do you think that it's more about just developing the players they have better, or you know, is it philosophically that you know the Mets have failed where the Yankees have been very successful with their draft philosophy? Well, um, you know, it depends, Mike, where you draft. I don't think their drafting has been that bad. Like the pitchers we talked about a couple minutes ago, I like all of them. And, uh, you know, and Rosario is a prospect, and they've done they've done Latin America really well, which is kind of good. I, I appreciate that. You know, I can certainly appreciate that. I, I really – I would honestly lay the whole thing at having – being stuck in Las Vegas. What that does to a system is immense – just in transportation, in development, and stats, and pitching, you know, pitching uh, issues in the Pacific Coast League. It's very tough to pitch in this Pacific Coast League, like in Fresno and in 
Vegas and in, uh, you know, Sacramento and all those places. It's totally different out there. You know, you're up high in, you know, Colorado Springs. You're up, you're up a mile high there and the ball flies. It's a whole different ball game. Back in, you know, I've seen, I've, I saw pitchers and hitters wrecked in the Red Sox system the couple of years they were out there. That's why uh, in Class A, they, same kind of thing. They bought the Salem team in the uh, Carolina League to make sure they never get stuck in the California League again. I think that's the problem. Um, as far as Sandy, uh, as far as Sandy, I mean, I, I don't know what the Wilpons, I think, limit them. I mean, here's an example. You remember last year the Yankees were trying to get Bruce. He worked sure. out a legitimate deal. He worked out – he. Brian and him worked out a very legitimate deal. I can't. I don't want to mention the players' names because it's not fair because they weren't traded. But one of the players was an outfielder who really could have helped them last year. The other player was a pitcher who would very likely would have made five or six starts. You know, the Wilpons right. made him turn down a deal that Brian and uh, Brian and uh, Sandy had agreed upon to take uh, to take. Uh, Nothing, you know, take Bumpkus, as we say in Yiddish, to from uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, you know, on some of the deals, you know what I mean, from Cleveland, and the same thing, uh, same thing with um, Duda the other Tampa first Bay, baseman, right. Duda that went right. to Tampa Bay. They got nothing for him now, so I can't draw, I can't blame Sandy on that. That showed me how limited he is by Fred or Jeff, whoever is going on there, but how much he's limited by the Wilpons. And if that's the case, I can't blame Sandy for much of anything, as far as that's concerned. On the development side, I think having Syracuse will help them a lot. Having a little bit better scouting and bring people in will help a lot. And uh, I think the draft has been okay, too. I mean, they have to do that because based on that one situation, I mean, maybe it was just with the Yankees, and based on what he forced them to get back for duty, I mean, the agenda was to hurt the Yankees any way they could, which was ridiculous, not help his own team for the future. And that wasn't Sandy's doing. That was the Wilpons doing. And that was the. Do, do you think it was that money? Was you think that that's their hate for the Yankees? Like you, you see that from the article. It was uh, a couple of weeks ago, or about a week or ten days ago. There, I think it was Mike Puma said Fred Wilpon is to a certain degree obsessed with the Yankees. It seems like, or the way it was written, similar to how George was excess, obsessed with the Mets at one point in the eighties. Um, was it that? Yeah. Or you just think they didn't want to pay. They didn't want. They didn't. You know. They didn't. They didn't want to. Uh, you know, pay a little bit more of the contract than what was left of Bruce's contract for the prospects. Two things tell me, Mike, it's an obsession. Okay, you know, you know, I follow the game and I'm a realist. Two things follow the obsession. The first example is the Bruce thing, which was ridiculous. The second example was uh, two years ago uh, in Scranton, they remodeled the stadium. You know, PNC Park. Sure. They wanted to play, and the 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 rail riders wanted to play in Newark for a year. Everybody thought it was a great idea, except Fred Wilpon, who vetoed it didn't want a Yankee right. farm team playing temporarily in Newark. I have been told by many people, even scouts in the organization and things like that, that, you know, what really bothered Wilpon was, was seeing Strawberry and Gooden have so much success in the postseason with the Yankees. And that's stuck in his craw. I mean, that's possible. I could see how, but I mean, uh, the bottom line is he doesn't want to, he didn't want to see Bruce, helping the Yankees get into the playoffs. I mean, there's a constant flow here of stuff. And all I could say is it's an obsession to thwart the Yankees, both on the field and the minor leagues and any way you can. I mean, there's no reason why the teams can't do business and trade. I mean, it would help both of them. What kind of impact do you think Mickey Calloway and Dave Island will have? You know, you know, you and I have talked. I was not a Terry Collins fan. I was less of a fan of Dan Worthen. I think this team, for two years since the World Series run, has come ill-prepared to compete each of the seasons. I always said one of the biggest differences between the Mets and the Nationals, and yes, I do know that you could argue a talent gap, and the Nats made some moves, and mainly Daniel Murphy, that uh, the Mets did not. But uh, you know, I don't think it was as wide as maybe the standings indicated. Was Dusty Baker? Dusty came in, set the tone, had a culture, a culture of competing and winning from day one. The Mets have not had that. Uh, I know you're familiar with Island from the Yankees days, and, and obviously he's had success in Kansas City. Callaway's been out in Cleveland. Uh, Terry Francona talks highly of him. What do you think those guys will bring? What is your opinion on on those two moves? Well, I totally agree with you with Dave Island. He's a good man, and uh, he'll really help the pitchers. Uh, just conditioning and rests and just uh, his kind of workout strategy will really help. Uh, and I totally agree with that. 
Mickey, I don't really know well, but I do know Terry Francona. He's a former neighbor when he uh, in Yardley, uh, Pennsylvania, where I live, before when he managed the Phillies. And Terry's a good man. He works hard. He's a very good uh, judge of talent and of coaches. Uh, you know, he's had the same people and friends, you know, like Bob Mills and people like that, wherever he's been. And he's, you know, Philly, he had no talent, but he's done well in Boston and he's done well in Cleveland. And uh, he's one of the top managers. If he says, you know, he talks very highly of Mickey and said Mickey was a perfect choice. He knows the game in addition to pitching and he's enthusiastic and he's fair with players and he talks to players when he's, you know, why he's doing what he's doing with them. He did with the pitchers in Cleveland. I think Mickey will really be good. And with Island, Island will back that up. And I think the pitching, which is the strength of the team, is going to show a total, you know, just hell, add health into it. Like it's going to be totally different in 2018. Absolutely. Hey, I'd be remiss. I'd be optimistic. I, I I agree, and you know, again, that's that's not the opinion that people want, and that's not the opinion that's going to make Twitter light up. But you know, again, there's there's issues, but I I definitely think that there's something to work with here, and I think I, that's you know one of the reasons why I had you on today oh. is because you know that you know you want to try to give a different perspective and maybe some te- you know organizational type of perspective to all of this. Hey, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up um, Alan Trammell and Jack Morris elected the Hall of Fame. You know, you're, you've covered baseball for a long time. I know that, you know, it was in Pittsburgh, but those are guys that were around during that era. Uh, Morris is controversial because of, you know, how, you know, the numbers and the advanced metrics, Alan Trammell, uh, you know, he's a good player. I'm not sure he's a Hall of Famer. I've I've kind of wavered on that. I know shortstop's a tough position to evaluate when it comes to offense. It's a it's a different type of position. Uh, even Ted Simmons came pretty close to the Vets Committee. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm curious because you're one of the best guys to get this opinion on. You you lived during there and really saw these guys when they were in their prime. You know, I was just a young kid. I was, you know, I wasn't even a yeah. teenager yet. Alan Trammell was an excellent shortstop. Uh, what made him also was uh, another guy you should get consideration. He just doesn't have the numbers. That's Sweet Lou Whitaker. They were some. They were the best. One of the best combinations I've ever seen. They played for Detroit together for I think about a decade, maybe even a little bit more. But Trammell was a leader. Uh, Trammell uh, Trammell got key hits. I have no problem with the Veterans Committee putting him in. Uh, as far as Jack Morris, uh, I think he deserves to be in too. He was as good. A, He's on the level of several other pitchers who did get in, and uh, he wasn't a media favorite, so he wasn't going to get on ballots that the writers vote on. So, uh, hey, if the Veterans Committee thinks enough to put those guys in, that's fine by me. I'm, we're not, you know, the writers aren't involved with that. It's their thing. If they want to put them in, great. I think they're both deserved. What's interesting is that it's like the Veterans Committee now with Simmons, who very good player. I'm not sure I'm. And I and I I'm you know, I'm just kinda of off the cuff. I didn't really I wanted to throw this in. I didn't prepare for this part of the segment. It was more getting your perspective. Uh, Simmons to me is another one of those maybe Hall of Very Good, but I almost feel like the Veterans Committee is trying to have like their say because they're not happy about the steroids, maybe the DH. I mean, to me, you're probably gonna see Chipper Jones make it from the BBWAA. Jim Tomey, Vladimir Guerrero, I think are, I don't want to say locks, but, you know, they're very strong in some of their reports, 30% of the vote out there. Trevor Hoffman and Edgar Martinez, less optimistic, but they're hugging the line. Um, I don't have a problem with any of those guys. Hoffman, I'm eh on, but the rest, you know, clearly to me are Hall of Famers. You know, Messina Schilling, Larry Walker, other names, Manny Ramirez. There's so many guys, but I know that the old-timers, let's just use that word, uh, you know, they don't like it. And and maybe by allowing a Morris and a Trammell and then potentially Ted Simmons. I mean, listen, if you're going to allow Ted Simmons in or even Alan Trammell, I know these are different positions. You know, Keith Hernandez should get consideration. Don Manningly should get consideration. And maybe you'll see those guys make it. Uh, and even Keith, who's a broadcaster now, needs to get even more consideration because of you yeah, know what you're I, seeing I with would, the Veterans uh, Committee. I would definitely agree on Manningly, to be honest with you. He just had the this- – fortune of playing during a bad the one bad yankee era era between dynasties but he was a he's a terrific player and he's also been a manager ted simmons is kind of on the borderline to me was a good uh, was a good catcher in an era when you had johnny bench and other guys like that so uh we'll have to see what the deal is there I, simmons uh you know his longevity is one thing too so uh We'll see what you know. We'll see what happens. I mean, again, like I said, I'm not trying to defer, but 
you know, the writers do what they do and the veterans committee feels they got to do what they got to do. That's fine by me. I mean, they're not doing anything contentious. So uh, it's fine by me. You think um, Kristen Yelich uh, and Real Muto will be traded? What are your thoughts on that? Well, Jeter, uh, despite what some people want to say on Twitter, uh, Derek is only, I haven't talked to him about this at all, but I mean, what Derek's doing is just what he was told to do. He was told to basically like uh, take 60% out of the payroll. So, um, you know, Stanton, uh, they traded Stanton and they traded him for two young kids. One kid is very highly thought of. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, former Yankee people are down there now and they're doing some evaluation on these people. And uh, that's just the way it goes. I mean, the Yankees took just about all the contracts except for $35 million, so you're not going to get much back. Um, as far as Rio Muto and Yelich, uh the bigger the bigger problem is those two guys are frustrated because they're trading everybody else. Like D. Gordon went too, and um, they have to talk to these guys and they have to sit down and decide. I mean, they got to have some players. You can't lose 120 games because their system isn't that terrific. So you can't lose 120 games, and you got to have a couple guys that people are going to pay to see. I think they don't draw anybody anyway, but that's another story. But um, you can't. It depends what they get. I mean, if uh, if somebody wants uh, Yelich and they're willing to offer him top two or three prospects that are major league ready, I think Derek could trade him. Otherwise, uh, I think they'll keep him. But he's got to keep at least one of those guys. And he's got to keep like, Justin Bohr. They got to have some people to bring some excitement, and give him a chance to win at least every game. Yeah, and plus, you know what? You, you never know how these guys develop and the value that you get for them in a year, even though. You know, clock's ticking financially. I get that. It may be greater. Maybe in season you get into a bidding war. What uh, What do you got coming up? So obviously you got uh, MLB.com, uh, Clubhouse Corner. Give the listeners an idea, uh, you know, obviously where they can find you, you know, what you're doing, and kind of, you know, what all about Jed Weisberger. Well, right now, Mike, uh, right now, Mike, uh, I just started with, you know, Doug talked to me about Clubhouse Corner, and what, what drew me to it? I didn't mind uh, – Working, you know, yes, you know, uh, Pinstripe Prospects, a yes-affiliated website. I didn't mind working, writing about prospects because I love those kids. You know that. And I like to yeah. see all of them do well, whether the Yankees, the Mets, or somewhere else. But uh, what I can do with Clubhouse Corner is I can write about anything in baseball. I can write about what the Phillies are doing. I can talk to Matt Clintac and you're making progress with the Phillies, you know, and things like that. I can call uh, – I can talk to anybody in baseball. I mean, it's no problem. And uh, I can write about any, you know, anybody in baseball. And it's a, little, it's a little nicer for me to do with a weekly column and maybe some features thrown in there for me personally to be able to, like, uh, I'm not saying I won't do any Yankee stuff or Yankee prospect stuff, but it's a little bit more stuff. Uh, it'll go with whatever MLB stuff, which a lot of times is the Phillies because it's easy for me to get there. And things like right. that, you know, after work or something like that. So I've gotten to know the Phillies organization pretty well, too. And people would be surprised how solid the organization is. They just didn't have any uh, talent for a couple of years, you know. So that's uh, the situation. But uh, I really like to hire Gabe Kapler because uh, that was cool. So that's what I'll be doing. Uh, people can find me at clubhousecorner.com. They can look at me under analysis and columns. Uh, be doing that. MLB, the assignments come uh, – when they need somebody, I basically what I do now is I fill in if Todd Zalecki's flying to the West Coast that day or uh, they need more help on the Yankees with something or they need some help with uh, a Phillies uh, in the community story. I've done a lot of those, like uh, when um, Cole Hamels and his wife uh, saved a music program in the Philadelphia School District. I kind of like doing those kind of stories, too, because it puts the players in different lights. So that's pretty much my thing is community stuff and uh, – and uh, games in Philadelphia, games in New York if needed, and things like that. Uh, and uh, that's pretty much what I'll be doing. But uh, you can find my right, you can find my work on Clubhouse Corner. People can go there to clubhousecorner.com. Like I said, uh, columns and analysis, and uh, they'll see a lot of my stuff on there. Jed, happy holidays, great stuff. Got to do it again. It's been a long time, and uh, you're always a scholar and a gentleman, my friend. Always enjoy having you on the program. And, Mike, uh, enjoy having you on. Glad you're doing this, and uh, anytime you need, you know. All right. 
Take care. Jed, Happy take New care, Year. Man. May 2000, Happy New Year. 2018 be prosperous. Take care. All right. Jed Weisberger on Twitter. You can check him out at Clubhouse Corner. And let's make sure you get this right. At Zalman, M-A-N-888 on Twitter. Let's take a quick break. When I return, I'll give you some uh, scheduling. I know uh, the last time I was on, uh, when we were doing the, the Steve Keen, you know, Crane Pool uh, Society segment, I basically said that was it for the year. But, you know, we had the Omar Manaya thing, and I, I thought it was enough to kind of have a little segment, talk to Jed. Jed had some time, and, and I always find it interesting to get his perspective. Someone who's been really at the grassroots level of baseball and uh, the minor leagues and understands how organizations are built and run and, and gives you just a, I just want to give you a different take rather than the whining and the complaining and things like that. So anyway, let's take a quick break. I'll return, give you the schedule, the update and where we're going to go and uh, wish you happy new year. We'll be back with final thoughts right after this. Hey Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts and uh, good stuff from Jed Weisberger. I thought he, uh, he did a nice job. It's hard doing these shows, and I'm not complaining, by the way. It's especially when you have a topic and in times where there's not a lot of activity, it's very difficult. And then you say, okay, maybe you do an alumni report. Maybe you look back. You do some fun segments. But it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit because the, the mindset of the fans is anger. And that's really what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to be completely uh, – Counterculture. I really am not, and and I think I still see some some comments when I you know I, I go back and look at the thread about I'm apologizing for the Will Ponds and and this and that. I'm not. I certainly think that it would be far more interesting and fun with a more solvent ownership group. And I do believe, and I agree with Howard Magdell, that the reporting on that solvency isn't great, other than what he did, and he hasn't been doing that for many years. And it's a tough position that the beat writers are in because they need access. They need to cover the team. It's a business segment. It's something that's probably out of their comfort zone. And quite honestly, the fans get bored of it. I mean, that's not what they want. So what do they, what do they basically go to? They go to the agitation, the old lazy way to get through times where there's nothing to talk about. And everybody's done it, even myself included at times. Let's go to the agitation button. It's getting old because people are starting to see through it. And it's sometimes it's, – if you want to be agitated, it's fine, but at least have a practical, balanced view of what the real-life situation is. I know that's not necessarily what talk radio is about. Sports talk radio has moved so far away from that, but to me, that's what this podcast has to be about, and that's what I have to be about. And if things change and the Mets prove that they're uh, you know, totally not investing in this team – which may be part of it uh, for other reasons, because not only because they don't have the money, but because they're putting their money into other things. Uh, you know, then maybe that'll change, and maybe that's the case. And I think we brought it up last week that if esports and the Islanders are business units, they're going to help make this ownership group more solvent. Maybe not today, maybe long term. Then they got to do it. You have no right, and I will, I will end with this before we wish you a happy New Year. You have no right. Unless they've done something illegal, and or that could be vi- or violations of baseball's rules, which comes to the debt ratio or whatever it is that baseball's ownership rules are, you have no right to demand they sell the team. The only thing you have a right to do is not go to the game and not invest in it. That's it. And if enough people do that, and it's not worth their time, 
it's a good chance that you'll get what you want. But protest, everybody wants to protest because that's the, the cool thing to do now. Let's protest. I don't like this. I don't like that. Nobody knows half the time what they're protesting about. And instead of protesting, they could go out and make a better life for themselves and educate themselves or do something productive for themselves and others. So to me, that's – the protest stuff is nonsense. This whole Mets fan united stuff, it's garbage. It's nonsense. You want to do it? I'm not stopping you, and I'm not saying that you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a right to feel that way. What I'm saying is that it's not going to solve anything, and it's not the way to go, go about this whole thing. You know what? Do something to positively impact the situation. Maybe report like Howard McDowell's report on it. I personally don't want to get into the nitty-gritty reporting of the business of it. I think the general uh, overarching theme and what we know about it is enough to kind of say, hey, there is a significant uh, tightness to the Mets budget. You're never going to know exactly how much money they're going to spend because, like Steve Phillips said, they're never going to spend it. I do think it was interesting on the one point that Jed Weisberger made was how maybe that Fred Wilpon, well, how Fred Wilpon and, and Jeff have become obsessed with the Yankees in a way that George Steinbrenner used to be and may have, based on his report, turned down a pretty good deal for Jay Bruce that would have given them a couple assets uh, that are a little bit better than what they got from the Cleveland Indians. So, But anyway, that's that. Hey, uh, programming note. So first, Happy New Year. Have a good New Year. Be safe out there. Um, Going to be back. Definitely working on a pretty cool guest for a Hall of Fame show in January, which is going to be in about approximately two weeks. Uh, we, the plan is to be back and do the Sunday podcasts, but this week will be interesting. I, let's see what kind of movement happens out there and what we could come up with uh, before I commit. But keep staying tuned. Keep going. You know, Follow me on at Mike Silva Media. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com for updates on the program. Uh, you know, Subscribe to iTunes or your podcasting service. You'll get the updates automatically if you set the settings to that desired situation. And uh, you know, be well. I'm, I'm looking forward to 2018, and I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, back half of the offseason. Hey, we're out of time. Uh, I want to thank Jed Weisberger. You could actually check out Jed on Twitter at Zalman888. Uh, be you know really good follow in Clubhouse Corner and all that fun stuff. Of course, I want to thank the good folks at MetsmerizedOnline.com. You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you can leave me a review on iTunes, it'd be much appreciated. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Happy New Year. See you in 2018. Be well. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.